Oh. Welcome to ICUP with We. This is an ICP podcast by a new listener and an old fan from back in the day. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. And today we're reviewing 2004's The Wraith, Hell's Pit. You're listening to the ICUP with We podcast. Explore The Wraith. Era Hell's Pit. Explore The Wraith. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to yet another edition and installment of ICUP with We. Listen, everybody, it's a beautiful Sunday, an absolutely gorgeous Sunday, and I'm sitting here not alone. I'm not sitting here alone. Uh, I'm sitting here alone in this room, certainly, but I'm not sitting here alone uh, in spirit and in uh, online voice calls. I am, in fact, Sitting here with, you know him as the co-host with the co-most, Eric. Eric, how you doing? I'm okay. Thank you for that introduction. You're absolutely welcome. Um, yeah, that was really nice. I, I, I'm glad you enjoyed. Glad you enjoyed. Yeah. Eric, how, how, how are you doing? What's been going on? You know, I'm all right. We've, uh, we've got the, the weather's cooled down up in this area in the Pacific Northwest a bit. We, we've had some uh, rain move in this morning. And some fog it's actually really really pleasant very nice and and chill and i'm you know enjoying it how how about you what's going on on your end it has cooled down slightly mm. not much but it is now uh bearable to be outside <laughs> well that's good um no rain although i wish we did have rain because that sounds fantastic and cozy yeah just hanging out just chilling the the fall yeah. is is the fall has fell you, people say the spring has sprung. I'm going to say the fall has fell. Uh, definitively. Yeah. The fall has, has fell. Fallen. Um, the fall has fallen. Now, I've been seeing a lot of tents go up around uh, my area, which means the pumpkin patches are here, my friend. Oh, um, yeah. And which, which indicates my favorite time of the year because it is not too hot or not too cold to be outside. It's you got a nice little breeze. Get to go get some pumpkins. I went and I spent like I think fifty or seventy five dollars at uh, Bath and Be- Bath and Body Works uh, on some nice uh, their new fall scented candles. Oh, um, I thought you were gonna say you bought pumpkins at Bath and Body Works. I'm like, what are you okay. talking about? <laughs> I might as well have their pumpkins uh, scented candles are are pretty much like the real thing. But did you ever notice that? Pumpkin scented and flavored things don't taste like pumpkin. They taste like the spices associated with pumpkin pie. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's uh that's hilarious because you can't just go bite by take a little bite out of a pumpkin and, and get the same effect. No. It doesn't work no. like that. But yeah, no, I, I I love me some Bath and Body Works candles. I love me the fall scented Bath and Body Works candles. I feel you. Fall scented um, candles, 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's nice. That's cozy. That's cozy. So the one I have here, let me pull it out. Yes. So I, this is a, uh, this is not pumpkin flavored or scented. I would hope it's not pumpkin flavored either. This is a, a candle called Dutch apple waffle. Dutch apple waffle. Now they're just making shit up now. And it is delicious. Delicious smelling. I haven't tasted it yet, but delicious. You give smelling. it a taste. Okay. You, maybe you we'll hear. do a, a candle taste test next episode. Yeah. Okay. You, you <laughs> want to hear, um, this is an actual true story. Uh, when we were in high school and bath and body works first opened at the mall in in the relatively small town where we lived, the one mall, the only mall. Uh, I remember people, somebody told us that everything there was organic and made from nature and it was all edible. And me and my friend were like in there <laughs> one day and I'm like, all right, let's try it. And it was a body spray. And I'm like, man, this smells good. And we both sprayed it in our mouth and it was just pure searing alcohol. It was horrible. <laughs> it was the most awful thing I've ever put in my mouth. Uh, it was just bitter, disgusting. Uh, and we immediately left spitting all over the floor in the mall. You know, that's surprising to me that it would taste bad. Yeah, no, it was the most <laughs> terrible thing. Like, it was a lie. Whoever told us that was lying. It oh, was lie. lying out of their teeth, for sure. Yes. Um, yes. Th- that is that is actually really funny, though. I'm. Uh, it's, it's really <laughs> stupid. I, I've I've heard of people tricking people like that before. I haven't necessarily not bath and body works related but i've heard of things like that happening uh to rubes such as yourself i guess yeah it seemed reasonable conceptually uh, yeah conceptually if they say that it's all natural products you'd think yeah why wouldn't it taste good and be edible right yeah yeah no it it wasn't it didn't taste good <laughs> it wasn't edible now was that was toxic that was a little while ago so maybe you can yeah. go and it is now. Who knows? Maybe it'll change. Yeah. Do you, maybe you should try it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go try it. I'll let you know how it went. Please do. Please do. Um, fantastic. The fall has fell, and I think we are both absolutely incredibly excited for it. But what I'm yes. also excited for is our review today. Um, yeah. Today, we're going uh, and reviewing the Wraith Hell's Pit. But before that, for context... Let's go ahead and look at some of the most popular hip hop albums of 2004. Eric, take it away. Yeah. So uh, like we've done the past few episodes, I just went with the top selling like first week albums uh, of the year. But I just want to say, just preface this by saying, I think this was a really weird year for popular rap, mainstream rap. And it must have been the year I kind of stopped paying attention to it. And I think a lot of the rest of the world did too. I don't recognize half of these big singles. Like I know most of the artists, but I even went and listened to these songs and I'm like, I I don't know some of these songs, never heard this. Uh, And after we talk about these, I just want to tell you some of the other albums that came out that, that year. And you'll immediately go, okay, I understand what was going on in popular music at that time. Absolutely. I'm down, but, but let's jump, let's jump into this. Uh, The number, this shouldn't be a surprise. The number one selling album, uh, that year was Eminem Encore with the tracks like Toy Soldiers, Just Lose It, and Ass Like That. And I just want to, like, can we just take one second to talk about that song? Because what the fuck is that song? Absolutely. So 
we talked about it very briefly uh, before we started recording, and that was just yeah. because I wanted to tell you that I was late to getting into our voice call because I was listening to that song. <laughs> um, uh, it's so weird. That song, I loved it so much in middle school, right? I loved it so much in middle school that I would be saying da doing 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 to my friends in the hallways, like in between classes. It was just like a thing that we did because I get that as a middle school guy, you listen to this song and you think this is hilarious. This is the best song ever. I'm going to listen to this on repeat on the 15 minute drive from the bus stop to school. Well, I'll tell you what, when I heard that song, I was a bit older and I thought, this is the stupidest fucking song I've ever heard because he does the whole thing in the triumph, the insult comic dog voice, the entire Absolutely. song. Yes. Yeah. Why? No, <laughs> no clue. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, it's so but, strange. But also when you listen to that song and you hear the lyrical content and what he's doing there, it's so strange to me that people look at Eminem and go greatest rapper ever. And then they look at ICP and they're like, you fucking bozos, you suck. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen to that song and tell me where the influence to write songs like that came from. Because clearly there is, uh, that's, that's part of a Detroit style and something that ICP helped to establish and build. Absolutely. So ICP might have gone through, here's the deal. ICP has plenty of stupid songs, but I think they oh, yeah. went through a cringe era, i.e. Yeah. the era that we're currently in, and, and that's why ICP gets shit on. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm sure that's it. I just, you know, it's, it, it's a strange double standard, and maybe it's because Eminem doesn't have face paint on, or maybe it's because Eminem was uh, accepted and respected by Dr. Dre right from the get-go and stuff right. like that. I don't know, but stylistically, I really don't think that the two are that far off. And by all accounts, I feel like if there wasn't beef between them, there would be a, a fandom that, that sort of spans the two artists that wouldn't mold together very well. Uh, you know what else people liked that year was D 12 D 12 world with the track, my band, which basically is also another Eminem project. Uh, also that year. And gosh, I did not realize that both of these songs were on the same album. Uh, Kanye West released the college dropout with through the wire and Jesus walks very far apart. As far as when those songs became popular, I think I feel like through the wire came out way ahead of Jesus walks, but I don't know. Now I'm not a huge Kanye West guy. Same, same, same. Um, So maybe we're just being really dumb right now, but I didn't realize how close together they were. Uh, no on releases you know the I same do, do the same think, release though, right i think through the wire is a great track i still think it's a great track but oh yeah i, I listened to it the other day when i saw it on our list it was great yeah it's, it's yeah. good uh let's see number four was lloyd banks of g unit the hunger for more with the tracks i'm so fly and karma and i'll admit i went and listened to those songs and i'm like ah, i don't know these songs oh yeah could not tell you those songs at all yeah uh number five was the first of 
two Nelly albums that came out that year, Suit with the song My Place, which I listened to and didn't recognize. Uh, I, I wasn't six, a huge Nelly guy either. Uh, I'm not, you know, and I feel like this was sort of past, like this was on Nelly's way down. You know, his his peak was the previous album. Now he's on his, his way past it. Right. And this yeah. was kind of the point in my life where I stopped listening to rap and like popular top 10 shit you know what i mean yeah well we'll get to that in a second i think that was a that was a big shift for a lot of people at this point right um young buck also of g unit released straight out of cashville with the tracks let me in and shorty want to ride again i didn't recognize these songs but when i went to spotify and i was trying to scroll through young buck albums to get to this one i never got there i got as far back as 2012 and I must have scrolled through 30 albums. I have never seen an artist with so many releases. It's insane. Hmm. Number seven was the Beastie Boys to the five boroughs with the song Check It Out. I listened to these songs and I'm like, yeah, this sounds like Beastie Boys. But there was like two or three listed as singles. And I'm like, these were definitely not big hits for them. But uh, number eight was Nelly's other album, Sweat. Yes, the two albums together are Sweatsuit. I don't know why Uh, this the the big hit off of this one was flap your wings. And this song I have heard uh, it's uh, it features the line drop down girl and get your eagle on. I believe that's the line. Uh, Mm. And it's I don't know why that's a real song. Uh, This is becoming a regular thing. Number nine was Tupac loyal to the game. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. That again, another album full of unreleased material that was recorded in the 90s. And number 10, probably the album on here that I'm, I've most heard or I'm most familiar with, Ludacris, The Red Light District with Get Back and Number One Spot. I feel like those were the songs out of all these, aside from the Eminem ones that I heard everywhere. Oh, yeah. Luda, 100%. Yeah. So, real quick, mm-hmm. some of the other albums that were released during that time frame. Yes. Right. We had albums like Atreyu, The Curse, The Chariot, Everything is Alive, Dillinger Escape Plan, Miss Machine, Kill Switch Engage, The End of Heartache, Senses Fail, Let It Enfold You, Under Oath, They're Only Chasing Safety, Newfound Glory, Catalyst, My Chemical Romance, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, 18 Visions, Obsession, Rise Against, Siren Song of the Counterculture, Converge, You Fail Me, The Used in Love and Death, Taking Back Sunday, Where You Want to Be, and Hopes Fall A-Types. That's what I was probably more focused on. And I think a lot of people, especially kids at the malls, were focused on too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this was around the time of my life where I shifted to listening to more alternative music, specifically Taking Back Sunday. Oh my God. Yes. I love Taking Back Sunday on those first couple albums. Hell yes. Dude, and and I still listen to Where You Want to Be with as much frequency now as I did back when it, you know, when I was that young. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I mean, that specific year, I remember listening so much to that 18 visions album obsession. Um, and hopes fall a types is still one of my all time favorite albums. Now I still listen to it probably. I mean, consistently since it released, I listened to it. So yeah, this was definitely not a rap and hip hop year in music. 
No, I just I don't think it was. You had a your your couple of really prominent personalities, but I think this is when I think a lot of underground, you know, rock, punk, hardcore, metal, you know, post, you know, era stuff started going mainstream. Uh and it was a pretty exciting time. I, I would love to go back to that sort of scenario again, but Oh, one hundred percent. The other thing that released that year is a bunch of psychopathic record stuff. Uh, I looked at this and I couldn't believe it. This is the year that they released more albums than any other single year before or after. Wow. Jeez. Right. I'm just going to rattle them off real quick. Go ahead. Dark Lotus, Black Rain, Twisted Cryptic Collection, Volume 3, Zug Island, 333, Anybody Kill a Dirty History, MC Breed, The New Prescription, ICP, The Wraith Hell's Pit, Blaze You Dead Homie, Colton Grundy, The Undying, Monoxide Child, Chainsmoker LP, and Psychopathic Riders, Check Your Shit In, Bitch. Hell yeah. They were busy that year. I would say, absolutely. And they could have just not released that Zug Island CD. They probably could have just skipped on that entirely. Yeah. Probably could have just dropped them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think after this album, that happens. Eric, you've made me so happy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They go away after this. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Finally, we're we're about to get into the post-Zug Island era. It's crazy to realize how big of an influence they had on their music with Mike P as the producer and Violent J and Mike P creating that band and them being all over their stuff like that. That was a huge change for them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely was a huge change. Well, hey, this is not a Zug Island podcast. If it were, thank God, I would have blown my brains out after episode two, but it's not. (laughs) So uh, let's get into this is an ICP podcast. Gosh, darn it. Yeah. And we need to get into some info about this album. Well, I've got some. And if you're ready for it, I'm going to give it to you. I'm ready. Okay, Uh, this album released on August 31st, 2004, and just like the Shangri-La counterpart, this one came in two versions, one with a live show from Denver and a 12-minute music video for the song Real Underground Baby, and the other with a short film based on the song Bowling Balls. Here's a cool thing. That short film has the distinction of being the first ever 3D film shot in high definition, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, they were they were pushing things forward. They made a a movie in 3D in HD before even James Cameron did. Like they he, they they walked so James Cameron could run. Film majors everywhere are irate that <laughs> that title, that that record, that that achievement has been stolen by yeah. ICP. or they should be thankful to icp for pushing the now defunct genre of 3d uh forward into the mainstream that's true they could be yeah they should be so after the release of shangri-la violent j stated in multiple places that he was considering not finishing hell's pit he felt like shangri-la was as and this is a quote the end of the road The end of the Joker's cards. Mm -hmm. After this, I could do anything I want for the rest of my life. Uh, They did go through with obviously completing it. And they, he said that it was some of the most difficult 
content to record and just he described it as just shitty weather in general but their goal with hell's pit was to bring a darker and more minimal sound to the music similar to carnival of carnage and their earlier stuff with less rock elements and less singing they also opted to include no guest appearances from either outside or psychopathic records artists so you'll notice that I think the only other voice you ever hear on here is maybe Legs Diamond on some of the choruses, but just yeah, them outside. Legs Legs is credited on one of the early songs, and then you yeah. hear like a female voice in the chorus of another song later in the album. I can't right. remember which one, but that's it. Right, right. Falling Angels, yeah. Falling Angels, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, but you don't have Twisted or Anybody Killer or Zug Island or any of those people on this album, which is kind of interesting. Unlike recent albums sort of speaking along that vein, Hell's Pit is not fully produced by Mike P. He handles six of the tracks of the 17. Outside that, Fritz the Cat, who is Twisted's producer, handles three tracks, and Isham handles the production for seven more. There's no producer listed for intro, although I'm going to assume it was Mike P. So when the album released, it released to generally negative reviews, which didn't really matter because it charted pretty well. It went to number 12 on the Billboard 200. It went to number one on the top independent album charts. And Violet J said that this album contains their darkest and most painful material in general. He described the era after Shangri-La that had come out the previous year and said, you know, they would do in-store signings and they had fans coming in you know, crying, saying that, you know, they had changed their lives and people's parents, they're thanking them for bringing this message. And then he said, we released Hell's Pit and people who thought that we were these holy roller Christian rappers all of a sudden didn't know what to do with it, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, Following the release of this in 2006, they released a double album called The Wraith Remixes. It has 29 songs from both Shangri-La and Hell's Pit remixed by lots of other artists and producers. And then in 2018, very interesting, ICP announced that they had discovered 13 lost recordings from the Hell's Pit sessions. Uh, They actually released an EP with nine of those songs called Hell's Cellar. The other four they held for the 20th anniversary edition of Hell's Pit. And we'll talk more about that later. But that's uh, what you need to know about this album. Very uh, informative. Let me tell you, and I guess we can go ahead and and because this is gonna be kind of my overall thoughts on the album, so we can go ahead and jump into that. Um, yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts. I was ecstatic to hear that they were getting away from the rock sound and going more minimal. And it this album honestly didn't disappoint for me. Why did this get negative reviews? I I thought the same thing. Like I'm not going to say this is their best ever album, but it's not it's not bad. It's really it's not a bad album. Exactly. They have put out so much more bullshit that we've mm-hmm. already had to review that I can't understand and those got relatively well reviews, right? I, some then, of, one of them, maybe one of the bizarres or something, they it got the best review ever. I'm like, "No." What? Come on, y'all. But what I don't understand is that they go back to very much so how their sound was before Mm -hmm. and how their sound should have actually naturally progressed, in my opinion. Agree. But this got terrible reviews. It's I mean, yeah, it charted well, right? That's great that it charted well. 
Yeah. Number 12 on the Billboard 200. Number 200 on the Billboard 200 is nothing to to shake a stick at. No. Right? Number one on top independent album chart. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Great job. But I don't get yeah. the negative reviews. I don't either, but I think a lot of it is they already had a reputation. It was very popular at this point for mainstream media and especially, you know, respected uh, establishments that, you know, were reviewing albums to hate ICP. Mm-hmm. And I think it wouldn't have mattered what they put out. They were going to get shitty reviews, especially after the Wraith and all of that stuff happened. You know, when, when Shangri-La came out, I think I, I don't think there was a way they were going to get great reviews here. Yeah, I guess that's true. You would have to put out the most incredible album in the entire world for people to put aside their predisposed assumptions yeah. and their thoughts and views on you as a group, especially ICP yeah. being so divisive. And even, even then, I don't think they would have gotten a fair review. If they had put out the identical album that Eminem put out, recorded the same songs, and they were still called ICP. I have a feeling the reviews wouldn't have been good. They probably would have shit on ass like that. I, I have to say, though, I, I agree with you on, on that very much. I remember not really loving this album back in the day and going into it now thinking, uh, I'm not going to like this. And on the first listen, it didn't grab me. And I actually listened to it two <laughs> or three more times. And the more I listened the more I appreciated what they were doing here, uh, uh, especially after the last few albums we've reviewed, it was really good to hear an ICP album that sounded like ICP to me. Oh yeah. It was such a relief. Uh, and I didn't remember it being that way, probably because I had been through years of trash and was kind of already done, you know, but Uh, A couple of thoughts about the album. They say this is their darkest material. And yes, it's definitely darker than anything that they had done recently. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure I agree with it overall being their darkest album ever. I think there was some pretty dark and almost uncomfortably dark stuff on, you know, the early albums up through Malenko. But I I do get that this feels a lot more like their early stuff, which I I like. Uh, I think the first half of the album is super strong. For me, it got a little shaky in the middle and it, it... it really, for me, fell apart in the last couple of songs. Uh, it definitely lacks those impactful last tracks that Shangri-La had. But aside from that, that there, there's really no songs on this album that are bad or, or long. That's the really interesting thing. No long tracks, no overly long outros, no two songs on one track BS. There's only even one song, I think, that's over four minutes outside of that last track. And most of them are around or below three minutes, which works really well for this. Nothing felt like it really overstayed its welcome. I think, you know, aside from a few tracks to me that felt just bland or okay, there was only one that I actively disliked. And even some of those bland tracks at least had an interesting conceptual thought or purpose behind them. But I want to see what you think about this. After listening a couple of times, I really found myself thinking, Imagine if they had taken the best songs from Shangri-La and the best songs from Hell's Pit and put them together into one like super strong heaven hell album. I think it would have made a lot of sense. That would work incredible, I think. Tracking back to what you said about listening to it when it was released 
and not mm. thinking about how great it was that it was back to the older stuff. Yeah. And I think that's because we're listening to them once a week, right? So mm-hmm. the year-long spans of these things being released at the time, I feel like gives people a very different perception of what they are listening to. I honestly think the music and thematic elements of this album, not since Malenko have we heard an album that felt like this. And when you think about that had been like six or seven years in between. And especially when you're like, you know, younger growing up and you're, you know, listening to all this different music and your tastes are evolving. uh, That's a long time in between. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think the only proper way to do this podcast from now on is that we get a time machine. Uh Uh-huh. We go back in time to the year it was released. Yes. We live that full year. Mm Mm-hmm. Then we pop back over to present day, review it, then go back in time to the next year and live that year out and basically live our lives until it gets, there's a new album. Yeah. Listen to it, live the rest of that year, pop back in present time and record that episode. That's the only way to do it. In my opinion. I mean, conceptually, we could do that all in one day. You're right. Time is a good. construct. Uh, Tune no, in tomorrow for idea. our next review. <laughs> Tune in five minutes ago for the future review. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, Whatever. Well, hey, let's move into our track by track thoughts. I think we've uh, very yeah. much so articulated the overall thoughts. So let's grab into the first track, which is the intro. Eric, thoughts. I actually really liked this intro. It's dark and it's cool. Uh, the it's basically somebody dying and going to hell. They're in they're in a hospital or something, and and you hear uh you know the monitors beeping, and then they flatline, and then you've got this sort of orchestral swell and laughing, and you know hell. There's almost no words or lyrics. Uh, you hear Violent J and Shaggy saying, why would you choose this basically? But I thought it was cool. What'd you think? I thought it was great. Definitely a very solid intro track. The concept was fantastic. It sets up the album perfectly. Now the jumbled up lyrics are actually backwards speech. There's only one of them that's annotated and it is from every part of the world, the bishops of the church have assembled. Um, and it is played mm. in reverse. The rest of them are not annotated. Not going to struggle through that, but solid, solid intro for a concept that is going to be thematically present the rest of the album. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, I love that the, the intro flows perfectly into uh, track to walk into the darkness. What'd you think of that one? Walk into the darkness. The beat was incredible. Violent J's mm. flows were amazing. Yeah. Finally, we get to a song and I can go ahead and tease an album that I'm not hating the choruses and the hooks. No, agree. A lot of there's some, I really like, I think legs diamond is, is on the hook here. Uh, and Man, it's really good. This is the point where you kind of see, and you can, 
this is a very dark album. We've talked about that. You've already touched on it. There's not a single silly song on this album. So Walk Into the Darkness sets up how dark the rest of the album is going to be, I feel like, so so perfectly. Uh, I think there's one or two silly songs that we'll get to in the middle. But for the most part, I agree. This sets the tone. Uh, This is a very um, dramatic, sinister sounding song. I love this beat, by the way. Uh, Oh, yeah. The the verses lyrically, especially Violent J's verses, that that first verse uh, about you know a school shooting, and then the last verse about walk till you fall into the pits of hell and and what it's like there. Uh, I really I, I like. There's a line at the end that sort of ends his last verse. He says, "When the something like when the wraith takes you, his grip is hard as a nail. He'll turn your world upside down and make it rain hell." And I was like, that is a dope line uh, oh, yeah. i think it was a great song great song oh yeah that that line stood out to me as well yeah it's uh right before the end hook yeah cool well, stuff. hey let's move on to suicide hotline what were your thoughts on that one okay you want to talk about dark songs this one is dark i think for multiple reasons i think mm-hmm. the, the beat is fine the beat is cool um but what really makes this stand out is two things number one there's a dynamic You've got Violent J as somebody who is about to commit suicide that feels that they are completely alone and have no reason to live and calls into the suicide hotline. And you've got Shaggy playing on the other side completely straight. There's no humor in this. Uh, the the person on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's Jay talking through all of the reasons that he has failed, that he's got no reason to be alive, that he's alone, that he's going to kill himself. And Shaggy trying to respond to that, but the way the song ends is what makes it doubly dark. Um, and we can talk about that in a minute. What did you think? Yeah, I think this song was incredibly dark. The skit at the beginning, their skits are usually funny, but the skit at the beginning was very serious and very well done. Yeah. I also love the fact that the suicide hotline operator, quote unquote, you know, Shaggy, yeah. was on the track pretty much throughout mm-hmm. doing little little ad libs after some lines. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, oh, you don't mean that and things like that, you know. Right. The beat is super dope. I loved this song. They they executed it very well. And I even loved the uh the skit at the end where basically Violent J is saying Yo, I'm about to do it. I'm about to do it. Then he gets a call. Says, oh, can you hold on a second? Swaps over to the call, and it's the girl that he's talking about. The bitch I love, I hope she finds me still up in the chair with my thoughts behind me. And he says, hello, you know, where are you at? They're right down the street. Wonder if they could stop by. He's like, well, shit, yeah, come on by. And, uh, like, bring blunts and stuff like that. The and tone he seems, shifts immediately. The tone shifts immediately, so he he seems completely fine now. Yeah, like the the subject matter lyrically is super heavy, um, and I think very relatable in a lot of ways. You know, if if you've ever been in that dark of a place, there there's reality to what he's saying. And then at the end, 
you realize it was essentially a prank call, which makes it even more fucked up. Right. It was wild. Yeah, it was yeah. insane. Now, do you think it was a prank call or do you think his head is so fucked up that he'll drop everything for this girl? Nah, I think I think it was a prank call. I mean, it could be either, but it was kind of like, you hold on. Hey, what's up? Yeah. And hey, hey, don't forget the blunts. You know, it was like right. just yeah, yeah, totally yeah. like it could be either. But I think and I've always felt and I think especially listening now that this was somebody bored and fucking around with a suicide hotline, which is pretty messed up. It very well could be. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know thematically what he meant by this, but those two options I think are very, they could be either one. Yeah. And it leaves you thinking about it, which is a good thing. It really does. It really does. So what about the next song? Uh, We're going on to CPKs, which does not stand for California Pizza Kitchen, but rather Crooked Preacher Killers. What'd you think? I think I would have rather had it stand for California Pizza Kitchen. (laughs) But this song was fucking cool. Yeah. The beat was so cool. Their flows were so solid. The only bad part is that the hook said Crooked Preacher Killers rather than California Pizza Kitchen. (laughs) right the subject matter of crooked preacher killers is something that they have done before and they've been very critical on religion and how fake it is i think this actually might be my favorite song in in this in, in their kind of that theme that they like to do they've touched on this theme in the past and i think this might be the most direct track about it though absolutely here's here's one line by shaggy two dope I beat a nun into a bloody pole into a bloody stew in the trunk of my car. How the fuck she got fake titties and a pussy ring bullshit. She sucked the preacher's dick in the pulpit. Makes me wonder if this person is a sex worker posing as a nun that the priest hired or if it was actually somebody, a a nun, like it's an interesting line. What were your thoughts on it? I think that you're absolutely right. I think it was a sex worker that the preacher hired and just said, hey, wear this. Yeah. As to not have any questions asked. And then Shaggy 2 Dope just happened to figure He's it out. He's a janitor. He's like, I see what's going on. I'm, you know, I'm mopping the floors. I see what's happening. And it's kind of cool. Right. Yeah. What, what, uh, uh, what were your thoughts? Dude, I agree with you. I love this beat. Uh, I love the the chorus. The lyrics are wild. Just, I mean, Violet J's whole first verse about, he's got a line where he's like, I never thought it'd be so fucking easy murdering a priest. And I was like, whoa. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy. That, that song, um, this one's dope, man. Yeah. This one's fucking sick. Well, fuck. Yeah. Let's move on to the next track. You know, and we're going to try and keep the the happy vibes up as much as we can for for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but this try. is not a happy vibes album at no. all. So if no. we don't, I apologize. Yeah, it's not a happy vibes album. But the I next love track. Right. Absolutely. So the next track is produced by Fritz the Cat and it is called Truly Alone. What are our thoughts? Uh, You know what? I listened to this. 
And now with a very different perspective, this is like the archetype for sad boy rap. This was sad boy oh, yeah. rap before sad boy rap existed. I think there's a lot of honesty in this song. I I don't think it's just Violent J playing a character here. And the vocal style, the delivery style for the first half of the song is very different. It's almost like a sung rap that's very soft and almost lends it a, a bit of vulnerability. Um, and it's that the title is exactly what it is. It's about somebody feeling truly alone and there's nobody to care about them or know what they're doing or for this person to talk to. And then there's a more sort of traditional rap verse near the end, but I thought this was a cool track. What'd you think? Yeah. So I loved the beat. The beat was sick as fuck. The song was very dark and to the point where I agree. I don't think this is playing a character. There is something very raw in this song Mm -hmm. that is definitely not couldn't just be a character right one one thing i like to point out that i thought was very funny and i want to see if you remember it's annotated here and i'm glad it is i wanted to see if you remembered this whole thing or if it's something you ever experienced so the line the full line is i pulled it out hammered across back of his nug i'm hearing sirens go off it's no blue light specials. Do you remember blue yeah. light specials from Kmart? Yeah, absolutely. Cause there's a line where he says he walks into a super K and yeah. just randomly attacks people. Uh, and yes, <laughs> comparing the police sirens to the blue light special was really clever. I thought that was so genius and I had to talk about it because I did. Yeah. I remember blue light specials. From my, there's a Kmart. There was a Kmart down the street from me. Yeah, growing up, I remember the Blue Light Specials big time. So uh, for anybody that ha- didn't live near a Kmart growing up, I did. That was the only store that was near us, really. Mm-hmm. So we shopped there, you know, for clothes for everything. But there would be a point in the, you know, randomly during the day, if something went on sale, they'd bring out this little cart that had a blue light up on a a pole and turn it on. And they would come over the speaker. There's a blue light special on boys jeans in the kids department, you know, go over there. Mm -hmm. Such a weird thing. Such a strange, strange thing that I feel like not everybody knows about. Yeah. To where if I was violent J and I wrote that line, I'd think, man, this line is really good, but maybe I should cut it because it's not, nobody's going to get it. I don't think a lot of people are going to get it, you know, but that's, that's never been their thing. Well, until maybe a little more recently, but early on, I feel like they were all about insider references or things that felt unique to their lives without any, uh, worry about what the rest of the world, will they get this reference? Will they know they were like, no, this is us, our lives. So it's cool to see stuff like that. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah, Yeah. I, I agree. Blue light specials, everybody go to your local Kmart. Well, I don't think any of them are around (laughs) anymore. If you can find one. First off, if you can find a Kmart, send us a picture of it (laughs) because I have not seen one in a very long time. Same. Wow. Second off, ask, ask the nearest employee because even if there is a Kmart around, there's no way they still do blue light specials. No, probably not. Ask an employee what the blue light special is, and then that high school student who doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about will look at you very confused. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> the high school student that was not al- alive for blue light specials. When blue light specials, yeah. Will say, 
you're fuck who you're insane who are you what what are you talking about and hey and on the way out don't forget to get yourself a hot pretzel and an icy because <clears throat> that's what happens when you're leaving kmart absolutely god i could yeah. i could literally taste kmart hot pretzels and ices <laughs> as soon yeah. as you said that yeah hell yes <laughs> all right let's get on to the next track uh track six is called every day i die a little bit musically different from the first few tracks what'd you think on this one i love the transition between truly alone and every day i die mm-hmm. i thought the beat was pretty cool i enjoyed it it's not something that i and honestly i don't think there's a beat on this album that i didn't say is cool or sick or dope now looking at the track listing here you can clearly see how dark they don't hide anything at all every day i die suicide hotline truly alone walk into the darkness and more that we we we're gonna get into but the flows are were sick the flows were solid i love shaggy two dopes verse we mainly hear Shaggy on choruses. This is this is a very Violent J heavy album, which is common for ICP, right? Mm-hmm. But the verses that Shaggy does do, including the one on this song, were amazing. Yeah, agree. Number one, I'm I'm really about this beat, and I love just like you said, especially that transition, the way the song starts with that repeating hell sample is really cool. Oh yeah. Um, I even this is one of maybe two songs that have any guitars on them, but I think it's used the right way in the chorus here. I think it's really cool the the way it's used, uh, and this isn't a new concept. I think they've explored this concept of living in hell before. I know I've brought it up multiple times before, but it's because I really like this song. But I think conceptually, this is a lot like the Killing Fields on Riddlebox. But I think the song works great. I think it's really cool that Shaggy's verse is basically about both of them waking up in hell, walking out their door, mm-hmm. and dealing with the the horrors of it. And Violent J goes first, and his verse basically ends with him being beheaded. And at some point, Shaggy's talking. He's seeing there's dead bodies all over the road. I see a headless body that looks like Jay's, but I doubt it. It's just crazy that they've got those references. Like, it's just really well put together. Oh, absolutely. It was a very well put together song. Well, hey, let's move on to the Night of 44. A song (laughs) that is named after a line from the first Joker's card from the song The Juggler. On the first Joker's card, Carnival of Carnage in 1992, what are your thoughts? That's interesting. I uh, I had the note that this is clearly a follow-up to Night of the Axe from Carnival mm. of Carnage, uh, Night of the 44. Thematically, it's really similar. Uh, it's a cool beat. I think it's the first song on the album that incorporates any sort of humorous elements at all. But it is, I mean, it's a, it's a dark song, but... I think it's cool because it's an old school ICP killing spree type song. And it definitely feels like the spiritual successor to a song like night of the ax. What'd you think? So tracking back the, the line that I, I was talking about in the juggler knife to the neck. And I got some, Oh, the night of the ax, the night of the 44. Interesting. I guess I didn't, that didn't register to me. 
Yeah, it's and honestly, I would have absolutely missed this if it wasn't annotated. I I, I noticed it a couple days ago when I first listened, mm-hmm. and I did some investigating. I thought, hmm, that's actually really fucking cool. But you're right. This is a classic ICP killing spree song. Although Dark does have some humorous themes, killing the drive-through worker at the Burger King. You know, every time they talk about food or talk about a <laughs> restaurant or something like that, it makes me find myself at that restaurant within days of listening. <laughs> yeah. I might have Burger King for lunch is what I'm trying to say. But I thought this song was cool. This song had a sick ass beat, had dope ass flows. Absolute classic ICP killing spree song. I you know there's there's just something <laughs> about this there's just something about this that works. And I think you know when we hear a song like this and we go, "Man, this feels like those early albums them doing the thing that we liked them doing." If they had just been doing this all along, you'd be like, "Uh, there's yeah. something too. They haven't been doing this for five plus years, and now to hear them doing what you know we liked them doing before, I think it just adds impact. You go, hell yes, man! I'm it's glad a, to hear them doing this. It's for a, a return to their peak form. I mean, they're talking about drinking Drano bottles <laughs> in this song. You know, yeah, yeah." It's yeah. it's it's great. It's hilarious. Now, I may have been critical on their Killing Spree songs in the past when it mm. was something we heard all the time. But I'm so overjoyed that it's back and that I feel like and let me tell you, I've already set myself up knowing that this is probably a one album thing and the next official release is going to be back to the bullshit. We'll see. I'm not sure. I, I don't know because I don't know much past this. Yeah, so I, I'm very, I'm very excited to learn if they're going to yeah. keep with this for a little while longer, or if this was just a one time go back to their roots thing and then back to the the rock bullshit. But I don't know. I was we'll so see. overjoyed at their return to form that I loved this Killing Spree song. But e- even though you've listened to me probably shit on them in the past, this one was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it's it it's it's a return to form, but also top form return to form. Like this Absolutely. is them doing that at at the best that they're that they're going to do it. But let's let's move on to the next track. Change things up just a little bit. This song's called "The Witch," a reference that we've heard multiple times, even on recent albums. Uh, what were your thoughts on the witch? The witch had one of my favorite hooks. I might think. I yeah. think very, I was very much so a fan of, of this hook, which part the, the, the something is coming in between me and my sanity. They say my, witch is just a dream, morbid fantasy. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Very, very good. Yeah. I think that it says a lot. I think that it was well done and it was pretty fucking catchy. It is. It, you know, we always talk about that one chorus, that one hook that we find ourselves like humming or singing later. This was that for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I I think it's a very cool beat. I think that the concept is interesting. It's basically uh, they believe they are being visited by 
this entity that they call the witch that is telling them or forcing them to to do horrible things uh and they're they're grappling with uh their their reality and their sanity they're saying you know is this is it real or is it not real people don't believe me but i think it's real i actually really like the chorus too i have a note in here that says i like the chorus right up to the wake the dead part which i think is catchy and sounds cool but i'm like i don't know if that fits with the song but either way i thought it was cool thematically i think the wake the dead part doesn't fit as they could have found something better to fit there but we've also been listening to almost three weeks straight four weeks straight of cobbled together random bullshit yeah so i'm not gonna bash him too hard on that although I, I, I do agree i can't come at him too hard because it sounds good in the song and it's super catchy yes now there's a lot of backwards speaking reverse talk in this song Mm-hmm. severed head is something that's said backwards a lot multiple times mm. bloody limbs is also something that's said backwards a lot outside of the course though this song had solid verses this song had solid uh, a solid beat and i think all in all i think it was very very well put together song Let's go ahead and move on to the next track. The next track is a song, and it's the one that they did the groundbreaking high-definition 3D short film for. That is Bowling Balls. What were your thoughts? So this is the silliest song on the album. It's the least serious one, uh, which is, it made me go, why did they choose this for the lead single? And then I thought about it, and I was like, all these other songs are so dark it wouldn't have made sense to put them out as a single. So I think that's why they probably chose this one. I think they chose it because it just feels fun and goofy them. Since they got really mainstream popular, they were known for fun and goofy. So maybe that's why this was the one. Uh, But for me, it's not a track I love. It's a weird song, but it's a little bit boring overall to me. I feel like this is one that would have fit well on Jekyll Brothers tonally. This is the type of song that would have been there. Uh, if that drum beat sounds familiar, by the way, it's sampled from Madonna's Justify My Love, which listening oh. to it, I was like, oh, yeah. And just for you, there's a hidden Fago reference in this song. Ooh, I don't think I caught that. The laugh at the beginning uh, of the song, there's a, a like you hear this man laughing. Mm-hmm. That's Harold Peary. He appeared in lots of Fago commercials, and that laugh is from one of the commercials. Oh, wow. Yeah, now that's I recognized that. I didn't look that up. I recognized it because <laughs> I was downloading so many Fago commercials over the weeks so that we could use them in, in the episodes. And I was like, I know that laugh. And I didn't know it before, <laughs> but I know it now. Uh, what were your thoughts on Bowling Balls? So Bowling Balls, the beat was so fucking sick. And I feel like Violent J just absolutely killed his flows. Yes, this is a silly song. This is a silly song that's, I feel like, different than their other silly songs in the past about, you know, about Nedden, right? Not not that. This is not that. This is definitely not that. This is a silly song about keeping heads everywhere. There, this is more about loneliness and isolation than it is right. about anything else. Right. Now, you didn't get much from this song. I actually very much so enjoyed this song. Yeah. I think it it fit very well. I think you're right. It would have been perfect for Jekyll Brothers tonally, but overall enjoyed it. I think my favorite verse is probably 
the third verse Violent J has about therapy with Dr. Wiggle Farmer. <laughs> and then it just turns out Dr. Wiggle Farmer is just one of his heads that he has. Yeah, you he, can ask that him for yourself. To. It's up on the shelf or whatever. Like, it's yeah. crazy. You can ask Dr. Wiggle Farmer for yourself. He's third head down, top row, third shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Great. First of all, to have th- three clarifying factors, that means you have a lot of fucking heads. Third right. head down, top row. So there's multiple rows. Yes. Third shelf. There's multiple shelves with multiple rows of multiple yes. heads. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Amazing, though. I really did enjoy this song. Good, good. All right, well, let's move on to the next track, 24, which is based on the popular Kiefer Sutherland TV show. Uh, How'd you like that one? So I love the all night, all day comparison. I think that was great. And this song is is just chaos-inducing songs, right? Robbing all night, find me robbing your jewels, setting fires, damaging and breaking into schools. Uh, next verse all day carjacks get out of the van as soon as they step out I pop them anyways blam I rob liquor stores I mean amazing I thought the beat was really cool they killed their their flows what this is a fucked up song this is a song about things fucked up things that they they do right yeah uh, one of the most fucked up being all day I'm selling coke lace joints to little kids yep I'm a clown in a milk truck handling biz. (laughs) This is definitely a song that uh, embodies somebody who is probably headed for hell. Uh, Oh, yeah. I I agree. I liked the night and day trade-offs that Violent J would do the all night verses and then then Shaggy would come in and do the all day verses and how the beat changed. I really Mm. liked the beat change up for the day parts. There was something really cool about that to me. Oh yeah. Um, Not definitely not like I I wouldn't say the strongest song on the album, but here's the cool thing. It's, it's high concept. I love the conceptual, you know, execution on it. Even if I don't think it's the most standout song, there's at least something really cool about it in that. You can listen to this song and think, oh, it's just another fucking song about them doing bad stuff, blah, blah, blah. But if you really take the time to listen to it, it is extremely high concept. And it's something that I will throw a lot of respect towards them for this song because of the concept of it. Yeah, agree. Awesome. Well, let's get to the next song. Uh, The next song is Burning Up. And no, it is not the one. From the Jonas Brothers. In fact, we're still reviewing ICP. Oh. Oh. What are your thoughts? Uh, did you listen to the wrong one? I did. Uh-oh. <laughs> no. Um, no, much like the last song had nothing to do with Kiefer Sutherland or the Fox television network. This song has nothing to do with the Jonas Brothers. Unfortunately. Uh, on on this track, there there's a lot for me not to like. Uh, I I don't love this beat. And I really don't like that Rockstone reggae voice that Violent J is doing. If you're not familiar with what that is, go on YouTube or go on uh, Spotify and listen to uh, a reggae artist called Pompidou, and you'll hear that voice. It's it's a often imitated vo- vocal style. It's just a weird thing for him to be doing to me. Uh, in my mind, I, I hear that and I go, "You're trying to do a weird voice." But I do like that this song. From two a little more silly conceptual songs, 
This one steers us right back in a darker direction. There's a lot of uh, social and moral messaging in this. Um, but yeah, what did you think? So this song was just okay. I was not a fan of that voice either. I think the flows were pretty solid. They're they're pretty solid. But on an album that has just banger after banger after banger, I feel like this one was just one of the, the weakest, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have not much to say. The only good part was the chorus when uh, they're like, because I'm burning up, burning up for you, <laughs> baby. I'm starting to think maybe you did listen to the wrong song. <laughs> no, here's the deal. I love that burning up by the Jonas Brothers, Bob Storino. I love that song. Burning up, insane clown posse, just okay. Yeah, the one thing I'll say is uh, I don't like that voice, but I'll give Violent J credit or the producer who on this one was Mike P. Maybe credit for saying we need to give this song something that makes it stand out because it's not a standout song on its own. So mm-hmm. let's change up the vocal style. I get that. I appreciate that they did it. I'm just not a fan of it. Yeah, but uh, that's true. But but let's move on to another song. This next one also produced by Mike P. This one's called Sedatives. Uh, how did this one have you feeling? Sleepy. Hmm. No. Uh, so the beat was pretty cool. Let me tell you, I listened to it through my speakers. Earlier this morning, Moose asleep in my arms. As soon as the crow sample happened, he was awake, he was alert, and he was pissed. <laughs> he was mad. But the flows are, are, are real tight in this song. Flows are very, very tight. So there's a intro in the beginning trying to get Dr. Davis or Dr. Forrest, Dr. Glare, Dr. Hamilton. All, all on the phone. And then it goes straight into Violent J saying, I like to suff- suffocate people and bite their necks. They got yeah. me in a place that ain't like the rest. So this is them in a... This, They're in some sort of institution of sorts. This is them in an institution. They talk yeah. about wanting lobotomies. They talk about the nurse coming to take care of them. Padded yeah. walls, white straight jackets. They're definitely in an institution. What were your thoughts? I think for a song literally about being on sedatives, they picked a really good beat or built a beat to it. I'm not sure which direction it went. Either way, it's got a very dreamy, trippy beat, oh, yeah. which which makes sense. The only issue I have is that that doesn't make for a super dynamic track. So uh, I thought it was okay. Cool concept, though. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, hey, next track. They're out of the institution and they are now in my room. What are your thoughts on in my room? Okay. So I don't have anything against this song, but it's a little bit forgettable to me. It's about being in love with a ghost. The, the, the woman that you love has died and now she visits you as a ghost in your room. Uh, I do like that thematically and tonally there are some similarities to a track like prom queen or under the moon i just think that those songs are far superior but i i don't hate it what uh, what about you i, I feel that. like the outro although not long the song although not long it comes in at 351 which is pretty short for icp <laughs> yeah i feel like it was just 
a little bit. It just overstayed its welcome. It was a very forgettable track for me as well. Although the flows were pretty tight, towards the end, I was like, all right, you're kind of losing me a little bit. Let's wrap things up. Yeah, I felt the same. Now, there was a segue, uh, and it's credited at the end of this song, so it was on the end of this song. And then it, it hops into the very next song. That next song being Basshead Attack. Um, all right, well, let's let's talk about Basshead Attack, track 14. Uh, what what were your thoughts on Basshead Attack? The beat was dope. The flows were amazing. We start off with Shaggy on this one, talking about watching Sanford and Son. Yeah. So this song, it kind of goes into that sort of quote unquote crackhead theme that the segue at the uh, end of In My Room had. Mm-hmm. Bass heads, I guess, is what he's calling crackheads. Yeah, free bass. Yeah, cocaine. Right. So they're trying to, it's basically a story about him working at a party store late at night and then them trying to fuck with his shit or attack him. The first sight he says was trying to them trying to break into his car. So I ran out with a crowbar, hammered it across his cranium. He fell over dead. I thought it was a pretty good song. It wasn't a strong song. It wasn't a standout. Oh my God, this song is amazing for me, but the beat was dope. The content matter, the story that he was telling was dope. And I've, you know, I've always been a fan of Shaggy's flows. Oh, me too. He, he Shaggy's flows are incredible. So boom, my thoughts wasn't a standout song, but very solid all the way through. And the, the content was, was pretty fucking good. What what'd you got? Well, I'll tell you what, for me, this was a standout song and here's why. If they said that they wanted to make songs that sounded like carnival of carnage and ringmaster, this is the song on this album that nails that better than any other song. This oh, yeah. really feels like one of those songs from the beat to the delivery, to the lyrics and the concept, uh, the main beat and the idea of it is, has so much in common with the song out from terror wheel. If you remember uh violent J goes out to, to the store to get food for his little brother and basically gets, you know, killed and dismembered on the way. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of similar feel. There is some subtle guitar work on the chorus that I think works really well. It's There are only two songs on this that have that, and neither one of those songs on this album has rock production. It's guitar that works along with hip-hop production, but I thought this was a cool song. Let me tell you, the minimum guitar work in this song should be the max amount of guitar work they should fucking have in every song. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. I think it works pretty well because <laughs> it worked very well. And it wasn't like something that made me jump back. And it w- it wasn't a jarring experience as soon as it kicked in. Yeah. And it's, it's funny when I was looking at who produced these beats, it, I, I heard those guitars and I'm like, Oh, this has got to be a Mike P beat. But when I saw that it was Esham, I'm like, that makes sense that it was an Esham beat because he produced stuff on those early albums for them. And mm-hmm. that's probably why it's got such, such a similar tone. Oh, absolutely. And let me tell you, Esham is a producer, man, ICP 
please stick with him. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely works. Although I haven't disliked any of the Mike P tracks on this one either. I think he, they, they guided that. And I really liked the Fritz, the cats tracks that he produced. So like changing up producers, having multiple producers here. Great thing for this album. It, it worked for them very well. I agree. Now All let's, right. let's go ahead and move on to the next song. The next song is called angels falling thoughts. This is a this is a pretty cool beat. This is a different song type of song for them on this album. And when you really listen to it is when this song comes together, when you listen to the lyrics. Because if you just didn't pay attention, you know, maybe the song wouldn't wouldn't really hit you. But the song is literally about the love of his life has died, so now he is taking out his hate and frustration on heaven and God by firing weapons at the sky throwing you know things at the sky uh it's i don't know if i like the vocal tone on the chorus but i think having the woman singing on the chorus doing the angels falling thing is kind of interesting you know firing weapons into the sky and angels are falling uh i don't love it's not really a chorus i'm trying to figure this out the first half of the song is a verse the second half of the song is a chorus and that's it. It's a verse and a chorus. And there's kind of like this jazzy sort of soft rock guitar. It's not rock guitars on the chorus. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm confused about this song, but there's also something interesting. Uh, please help me. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah. You know, the hook was good. It was weird. You're right. I don't know how to really label it. So having the woman sing was an interesting choice. And by the way, uh, the woman singing is somebody called Sugar Slam. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Uh, Violet J married Sugar Slam. Oh, well, this is Sugar Slam. Okay. That's interesting. She is also on Real Underground Baby, which we'll talk about here in a couple minutes. Yes, we As will. well as... A Shaggy Two Dope song, Red Moon, that we will get to eventually. A future insane, a couple future insane clown posse songs, a Blaze You Dead homie track, and a Jump Steady track. Huh. And a Ouija Mac, but I'm not sure who that is. Oh, well, we'll talk about Ouija Mac in the future. Oh, fantastic. Um, but yes, that is Sugar Slam. I could tell that she's very much so an ICP person because in her genius photo, she is wearing a pink hatchet man football jersey. Uh, also, I don't know if you've ever seen if you've ever seen the trailers that they would release like a 20 minute trailer for the gathering of the juggalos uh, with people talking about everything that was going to happen at the <laughs> gathering. The ones that basically Saturday Night Live made fun of in all their skits. Yeah, that's Sugar Slam doing those. Oh, OK. Yeah, but, I mean, they became a meme on the internet, so. Oh, 100%. It was hard not to see it. So, my thoughts on this song, though, the beat was okay. The flows are good. Beat was just okay. This is actually our first write-out Fago reference of the album, which is super yeah. late uh, for them. Then I found a double barrel with shells at Walmart, threw it in next to the Fago in my shopping cart. Man, you can't buy Fago at Walmart, not around here at least. You can definitely not buy it around in Walmart around here. I must have been a very, very much so Detroit centric 2004 thing. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Who knows? 
Yeah, which is funny because uh, there's been multiple times that they could have put in Fago references, like in the in in Basehead Attack, Shaggy Two Dope says Pepsi. He has yeah. a Pepsi reference that yes. could that one hundred percent could have been Fago. So I don't know if maybe in- they have an issue. No, I think Who that knows? they were trying to avoid a lot of the things that are associated with good and lighthearted aspects of them and their music and their culture. That I think they sense. intentionally tried to avoid those things on this album. That that actually does make sense. But anyways, yeah, this song I feel like was was relatively forgettable for me. It was just okay. The beat was meh. Yeah, it's interesting with the concept and with that split of the, you know, sort of adding the the female vocals, though. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a nice change of pace so late into the album after a couple of songs that were already just meh. So let's move on to the next song, Manic Depressive. So the beat on this one was so dope, in my opinion. Yeah? The f- Oh, yeah, I, I was surprised by how much i enjoyed the beat the flows were just okay this is another pretty forgettable song for me but i think the one thing that i enjoyed the most probably would be the the beat and it sounds like you do not share that same opinion no i i think this is for me the most minimal and kind of boring beat on the album and the the content and flows and everything also just felt that way. I feel like this is a very uneventful ending to an album. This is where on the on the Shangri La version, the actual song "The Wraith" appeared, which I really liked. I know we differed on opinions there, but I felt like that was a sort of really emotional build into the end of that. But this is kind of like a put the most boring track at the end and then it leads into real underground baby which is so boring but yes so boring manic depressive was just an okay song like i said this album fell off very hard for me towards the end and i think that really started around basehead attack and it definitely was around angels falling and then it just got worse till the end in my opinion but but let's go ahead and move on to real underground baby this is a song that is 12 minutes 37 seconds long which the wraith shangri-la had a very long track at the end as well but this one is very very different from from that track eric what were your thoughts i mean i truly truly think that this might be one of the most uneventful ways to end an album that I could possibly think of. It's 12 minutes and 37 seconds of the same not great looping beat. And they basically work in samples from songs on their albums over the years. I actually don't think I've ever been able to listen to the whole thing straight through on purpose. It just, it's way too long. It's not, you know, you have Shangri-La ending with, the uh unveiling which regardless of how you feel about it that is an impactful ending track they had something to say they said it they did the same thing real underground baby does by bringing back all those things that you remember but in a much more concise manner that actually felt like oh wow i remember all those things i I don't know i really really disliked this but what what did you think about it 
And I it's I did not dig the looping beat, especially looping it for 12 freaking minutes, dude. Come on. Yeah, they did all these past Joker's card samples, but it was way too long. It was it seems like a pointless song. I mean, work in some samples into a real song. Don't do this. This is dumb and pointless. And it, I found it very hard. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I listened through it all the way through the first time I listened because that's our rules. We have to listen to every song all the way through. And I'm a good rule following boy. But this morning when I listened to the album again, I fucking skipped around this song and maybe spent two minutes on it. Same, same. It just, I, it, yeah, I couldn't sit here and listen to almost 13 minutes of that again. This is where it's kind of like, man, this, this album started off so hard and then it just sort of tailed off and just shit the bed and, and died. <laughs> I I mean, these last two tracks just did nothing at all for me. There was a couple in the middle or later part of the album that I thought were okay, but not great. But for me, Basehead Attack and Angels Falling were interesting enough that they kind of brought it back around a little bit. And they sh- if they had ended with two very strong tracks there, uh, I think it would have made this album feel much better. So again, good album, but what a sort of, it went out on a whimper, you know? Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. It went out on a whimper. If they would have ended the album at Angels Falling, yeah, nice. Yeah, I would have sure. liked that. I probably would have liked this album better. And this is an album, don't get me wrong, that I heavily enjoyed. Yeah, right? I I couldn't agree more. No no hate on it because I, I like it. But uh, gosh, I think if they had ended with Angels Falling, that would have been a really interesting end to the album. But Oh, well, but hey, that's an album. That's an album, baby. Yeah. Amazing. Well, hey, you know what time it is. Time for us to to grab our personal favorite tracks and toss those bad boys on the Spotify playlist. Oh, boy. It's going to be hard because there are I started trying to narrow it down and there are several that I really liked. What about you? I have several that I like as well. Well, I'm going to let you go first. Most of them are th- are are towards the beginning. Same. Right? I, in the first the first half of the album. Now, absolutely. Now, one of them that I I know you're not going to share my opinion is Bowling Balls. I thought was 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 very solid, but it is in close contention with Walk into the Darkness and CPKs. Well, my top two are Walk Into the Darkness and CPKs. Fuck it. Let's do those two. I mean, I I 100% agree. Those are two solid, solid songs. Do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Outside of that, I had Basehead Attack and Every Day I Die. I think those were cool songs. But yeah, those were my easy top two. Oh, yeah. Every Day I Die was was up there for me, man. I I, I had a a struggle. Yeah. Struggle. Uh, with this one and not in the bad way like i've had with the previous <laughs> few albums right <laughs> so okay well fuck yeah let's look at this playlist here three hours 13 minutes 42 songs you can drive from dallas to waco and listen to the whole thing i really wish it would have been three hours 33 minutes in um honor of the zug island album that came out that year Oh, man. You know, because one thing that we need to do is honor Zug Island. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no. 
Well, hey, let's uh, let's talk Fago scores. Let's talk Fago scores. Yes, M- music and beats. Eric, what did, what did you have for that? Uh, you know, <laughs> coming off those last two songs, it was it's easy to go. Ugh, this wasn't great. But when you listen back through a couple times, and when we talk through it. I couldn't possibly give this lower than a four because there's some great stuff on there. What about you, man? I gave it a four as well. I can't shit on them too hard for the last few songs. The album fell off. It happens, right? The rest of the content was so solid that I, I couldn't do anything less than a four. Yeah, man. If you're going to put out an album that's 17 tracks and 12 of those songs are really good. And the other ones are just okay. Uh, you've done you've done well. They could have added one more track at the end of this where they just farted into the microphone for four straight minutes, and I still would have given them a four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Let's talk about lyrics and flows. Uh, what did you give that one? Man, I gave this one actually a four and a half because the flows felt so nostalgic to earlier in the year when we started this podcast for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I was overjoyed. I had to. Yeah, I, I had to do four and a half. All right. Uh, I actually I went with a four just because I think for me, like I said, probably 10 to 12 out of 17, I thought were great. And the other ones were just OK. So that's that's where I kept one bottle of Fago for me and gave them four. Perfect. You know what? And and good 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 on you to keep one for yourself. Yeah. Um let's uh, see. We got skits really and interludes. Anything. Yeah, skit there were really none. Um skits and interludes were all integrated with the songs. So I don't know how you'd want to score that. Do we skip it this time? Let's skip let's it. Let's go straight to vibe at the time of release. Uh this is a tough one to gauge. We talked at the top of this uh episode about Here's the the popular hip hop of the year. Let's talk about the popular, you know, more mainstream rock and and punk and hardcore and post hardcore type music of the year. Uh, how do you how do you give this a vibe at that time of release score? It's very difficult. Man, we've talked for a while that they are sort of in their own world at this point and not really caring about what else is happening, right? No. With that being said, I feel like in 2004, looking at the top 10 in hip hop that we d- discussed earlier, I feel like I would have enjoyed this way more than the BC Boys, way more than Young Buck, way more than both of the Nelly albums. Yeah, for sure. So I think I'm going to have to score this pretty high. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go with a four on this, because just because I feel like I would have enjoyed this more than the the most of the top 10. I think that I fully agree with that. I went with a 3.5 because I I I feel like they were both ahead of and behind what was going on in music at that time. They went we're going to do our own thing and our own thing is going back to what we know and do so well, which almost makes that ahead of the curve which is a strange thing but i I gave them a 3.5 okay nice solid ratings all the way around what's our uh what's our average on this one the average is a flat four this is a four fago album (laughs) 
Hey, congratulations, Hell's Pit, for the four Fagos. What a solid, solid score for a solid, solid album. I want to personally thank you, Insane Clown Posse, for releasing this album, even if at the time maybe my my head wasn't in the right place or maybe we had grown apart for whatever reason. But now, whatever it is, 16 years later, thank you for giving this to me to listen to and go, hey, this is pretty cool. Thank you, ICP. And you know yeah. what? Thank you for this first deck of Joker's cards. There were some stinkers. There were some incredible, incredible yeah. albums that I feel like has been a very positive influence on my musical life, being able to yeah. do this. Uh, yeah. So thank yeah, you. And with that being said, next episode... We have a very special surprise for you. It's going to be a bonus episode where we are actually going to jump a little ahead and review Hell's Cellar, something mm. that, that Eric talked about in our background information for Hell's Pit. This uh, was lost to time for about 15 years. It's the nine tracks that were recorded during the Hell's Pit sessions and then found and released in 2018. We decided it would be best to review them right after hell's pit. So we can accurately gauge in the time that they were recorded, what they were like. Yeah. I think it'll be really interesting to listen to that now and go, okay, there were a few songs we didn't love on hell's pit. Is there anything on Hell's seller that we're like, fuck, I wish they would have put that on instead. What? Uh, yeah, what we wanted. And there's no way by the time we get to the 2018 releases that we would remember, well, yeah. you know, Hell's Pit well enough to do that. So I feel, right. feel like the only fair thing, absolutely, to fully round out Hell's Pit would be to see which songs off of Cellar we would swap, if any, yeah. with, with some Hell's Pit songs. I'm curious about those extra four songs, though, the ones that they're saving for the 20th anniversary release of hell's pit i i mean what why did they save those four what's are they better are they you know i mean what is it but i guess we'll i mean we'll find out in four years yeah we'll find out in 2024 it's it's getting time and yeah. you'll hear us back here doing this to uh yes. to talk about it i i have a strong feeling so after hell's cellar we're going to end out season one yeah season one's done after that and when i say end out season one i'm not saying that we're going to take a break you will still get your regularly weekly scheduled podcast but season two will be a little bit differently formatted i guess what you could say uh but we're yeah. venturing into uncharted waters this is the post joker's card deck era Mm -hmm. We'll start season two by looking back at season one, discussing our favorite and least favorite songs and albums, and we'll take a look forward at what's to come. As a bonus as well, we'll also review a selection of twisted tracks that were released during the first deck era. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting. I've actually already started putting together uh, that that playlist so we can listen to it. And uh, in my release radar, a new Twisted track that came out last week popped up. And holy shit, I did not recognize it. They have evolved quite a bit. Yeah, you uh, you sent it to me and you said, hey, listen, give it a shot. Listen to it all the way through. And I did. And it was actually 
pretty fucking good and not yeah, but- anything like what twisted is in during the first deck era no no it's got a ton of code orange influence like modern code orange influence oh, yeah. which is weird uh but yeah so anyway uh next episode hell seller then after that we start season two with that retrospective a look forward and a little bonus of twisted reaction for you bonus so aaron if if people just finished listening to this episode and they've already listened to all the other episodes and there's there's no more in the future for them to listen to, but they want more Aaron, where can they get it? You can find me and all of my social media stuff at www.locklearcomedy.com. You can also find me streaming on Twitch Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays with a few extra days sprinkled there in between at twitch.tv slash gristle media i guarantee you if you're listening to this in the evening and you hop over to twitch you'll probably see me live already uh and we do discuss the podcast every once in a while i have a couple of my viewers hey shout out dad bods on twitch listens to the podcast and, and has enjoyed it so far yeah so we talk the podcast sometimes on twitch on my stream so hop in and and say hello and let's let's see what's up i want i want to get the entire the entire squad from the the gristle stream all of your viewers listening to this i want i want them to be friends with us you know it's it's very funny because as soon as you say yeah i have a podcast on stream people think oh fuck yeah what's your podcast and then you have to immediately say Listen, hear me out here. <laughs> Let me explain it. Let me explain yeah. it before you just immediately turn my stream off. Uh, no, but I, there's there's multiple people that uh, that do listen to the podcast on my streams, and, and they're pretty fucking fucking cool people. We have a cool group over there. Speaking of the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at ICUPWWE, where we tweet and we quote. And we twizzle. We have Twitten. It is Twitten. It is Twitten indeed. Uh, and by that, I mean we just tweet about the episodes and retweet yeah. some some ICP stuff and, and interact with them on there to their not knowledge at all. Because why yeah, would they know? They have no idea. They don't care about us. Absolutely not. But they do listen every week. Right. And they do come over for dinner periodically. They do come over for dinner periodically. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Eric, where can we find you? <laughs> well, you can also find me on Twitter at nuclear is lonely. And periodically I no, I, I generally, I was going to say I, I have twitten many times, but I, I don't very much. I check my messages. I click like on a thing. I respond to people who uh, say things to me, stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, if you go there, I'll eventually see it. Amazing. Listen, go send Eric a message on Twitter about how much you enjoyed something and he will respond a week later. Oh, no. Send him something that has super time sensitive information (laughs) that he will absolutely miss out on (laughs) because he doesn't check Twitter. Oh, I'll check it. and I'll be like, no, (laughs) a million dollars if I respond in 20 minutes. No. You know, you know what I want to, I, this is, I genuinely want this to happen. I want ICP to want us to do a live 
ICUP with Wii recording at the gathering of the Juggalos, but I want them to hit us up about it on your Twitter and we end up missing the deadline for responding because you don't oh, check no. your tweet your Twitter. That's what I Jackie, want. Jay, if you need to hit us up, please just email us. It's icupwwe at gmail.com or uh, reach out to Aaron because he'll respond first. Yeah, so I'm I'm addicted to social media, I will have to say. I don't know if you saw this, by the way, but ICP is doing uh three days a week. All month for the month of October, uh, they couldn't do a gathering of the Juggalos this year. So instead, they're doing um, podcasts on different topics. They're doing live house party performances from Violent J's house. They're going to release a new album that's uh, an EP of all acoustic tracks. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I just saw a video on it the other day. So uh, check that out if you haven't. Yeah, I'm uh I I I I'm I have their notification, their tweet notifications turned on for our our podcast Twitter account. It gets annoying at times, but I do. <laughs> That's just part of the territory, right? But yeah, yes. no, I've I've been keeping tabs on it. It seems super fucking cool. I can't wait to see what October brings as far as all this goes. Yeah. And I can't wait well, for in two years to finally get to review this acoustic album. <laughs> exactly. It'll be sometime near the end of 2021, probably. Yeah, probably. Anyways, y'all, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I had a blast. And I cannot wait to have another blast with Hell's Cellar next week. Until then, hit us up on social media. Rate and review us on whichever podcast platform you choose. And for Eric, I'm Aaron. Giving you a old big old resounding whoop whoop, and we're out. Whoop whoop. been a gristle media production <laughs> shitting on an ass is hilarious Shit, listen shitting on an ass is always hilarious <laughs> <laughs>